Today on Sustainability Talk, we dive into sustainable mountain development. Why are mountains important? Are they more than just majestic landscapes and postcard moments? Let's find out. I'm Sarah. And I'm Fatima. Your hosts for Sustainability Talk. In this episode, Dr. John Harrison discusses mountains and development in Taiwan. This talk is taken from the Field Studies in Sustainable Development class taught by John here at NCKU. So, John, uh, we had you with us a couple of months ago for our first uh, couple of episodes. But for all new listeners, could you please introduce yourself again? So, my name is John Harrison. I'm an assistant professor here at NCKU. I work under the CPSD program, which is the Certificate Program in Sustainable Development. A lot of my research is connected to mountain environments and how people interact with them. So, let me tell you about my educational background. I have an undergrad degree from Canada, from the University of British Columbia. Uh, the degree is in geography with a minor in environmental science. After that, I moved to Taiwan and completed my master's and PhD in environmental engineering. And here I am now as a, an assistant professor. All right, so I guess we should start off with what is a mountain, John? Yeah, I mean, in my class and uh, during this podcast, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about what is a mountain. I mean, mountains have different meanings for everyone. Uh, they have cultural significance, economic significance, environmental significance. Now in Taiwan, for example, if we travel the mountains, maybe we enjoy camping, we, we enjoy the recreational opportunities that are involved in going up to the mountains. But in historical context, we can think about we live on the west coast of Taiwan here in Tainan. The mountains play a more important role geographically. The first settlers decided to settle on the west coast of Taiwan for the simple reason of safety. If we travel to the east coast, not a lot of people on the east coast. We have about 80 to 90% of the people that live on the west coast here. Why? Well, simply the mountains are the barrier, the savior during typhoon seasons. We have minimal impact of typhoons. However, if we look at the east coast, the east coast is annually pounded by typhoons. Now, if you think about the economic significance of mountains, mountains provide, what do they provide? They provide water resources, natural resources. Again, if we look back in the history of Taiwan, the Japanese came and took advantage of the significant amount of uh, timber. Actually, if you travel to Japan now, you can see that a lot of their temples are made of cypress and highly valued wood that was actually from the mountains in Taiwan. Now, we also see that water resources are from mountainous watersheds, especially in southern Taiwan. So on your previous episode, we talked about sustainable development, but what do we refer to as sustainable mountain development? So in the previous episode, we talked about this idea of sustainable development, but I think we have to really focus on the mountains. Sometimes they're often overlooked. The people that live in the mountains are overlooked. In Taiwan especially, we have communities that live in the mountainous areas, very scattered, very remote, and they're often overlooked. So we have to understand the impacts of development in these regions. So why is this topic interesting for you? This comes back to my undergraduate degree. I studied in the west coast of Canada. The western coastal mountains, the interior mountains of British Columbia are very, very dramatic. I became curious about mountain environments, curious about the natural environment, and then basically curious about the interaction between humans and mountain environments. A lot of my professors, again, were passionate about this in my undergraduate studies. So this kind of carried on into my master's and PhD and is still part of my research that I'm still conducting. What research is that? Yeah, good question. That leads into basically looking at mountain communities. One mountain community, for example, which uh, the field studies class that uh, mm -hmm. I think both of you have attended, we took two groups. Yeah, it's been two years now. We've done it twice. We went to a village, three villages actually, in Kaohsiung. 
You might know the villages, Maolin is that district, but the three villages are Maolin Village, Wanshan Village, and Dona Village. So these are Aboriginal villages. And a lot of my research right now is basically focused on that area and just seeing the impacts of how these cultures show resilience, adaptation, and just how they deal with daily life in a vertically challenging area as opposed to living on the plains. I have a question about um, sustainable mountain development. Is there like any country that's leading or has like innovation towards sustainable mountain development right now? For mountain development, we see mature mountain development in Europe. So Switzerland, I would say, have the most mature. I guess that's a good way to say. Yeah. They understand the hazards of living in mountainous environments. Whereas we also see that in North America, in the, in the Rockies, where we have better management practices. However, if we move to other parts, maybe into Asia and where the Himalayas, maybe not so mature. But again, we can have different standards of living in these mountainous communities. So to say that there's a leader or uh, maybe like an innovative country, uh, I, yeah, I would say Switzerland would be one that comes to mind. They have a balance of like ecological management and they're promoting recreation recreational opportunities for for their citizens so it's quite phenomenal they are able to manage the environment maybe better than other countries around the world could this also be related to them having more stability in the sense of natural disasters because they're probably not as prone to natural disasters as taiwan yeah i think um you brought up a good point i think the mountains in, in europe i i would classify them as the, the hazards that they face are more weather related sorry I, i should say more cold weather related as in snow avalanches whereas in taiwan or the tropical regions we're faced with a lot of rainfall which is connected to maybe landslide activity and then i would say those european mountain ranges are much more stable geologically they're not really on the ring of fire where taiwan's located so we could say Yeah, for sure. Taiwan is geologically more active and that would create unstable mountainous terrain, which leads to the interaction between heavy rainfall and then rainfall, loose terrain, high susceptibility of landslides. Just more dangerous, yeah. All right, so speaking of Taiwan, do you have any interesting cases here that you could talk about? So, yeah, I, again, um, back to our field studies class that you both attended and i encourage any listeners to join the class in the future it'll be running next next semester yeah um, take it it's a good class thanks yeah i think we have a really excellent little study site outside of dono village where we can really get a lot of hands-on learning and basically the study site or the, the special case of this area is post typhoon morocot location where a lot of areas were damaged significantly after 2009 So we're looking at over a decade of basically recovery um, in this area. So what's special about this location is that, yeah, we can monitor it and do basically long-term projects and really be involved with the community, but also monitoring the environmental changes that are happening to the, to the landscape, which is pretty unique, I think. So we've talked a bit about how mountains are culturally important and also, well, just in general, the value they have for people, but what about the ecological value that mountains have? Good question. I think if we look at Taiwan again, geologically speaking, quite complex, but geographically, if we look at 
the distribution of the mountains across this island, 80% of Taiwan is mountainous. There's not a lot of flat areas to live. So we would think, oh, maybe that's a disadvantage to ecosystems and biodiversity. But however, the special and unique part of it is that a lot of the biodiversity hotspots in Taiwan are located in the mountains. So basically it's become like a refuge for organisms to thrive and the number of endemic species that are in the mountains, such as frogs or lizards, is phenomenal. So basically they've become kind of like the safe habitat. A lot of the areas in the mountains are inaccessible, so it's actually to the advantage of the ecosystem. We can also look at diversity within a mountain from you know the peak to the base. As you go vertically and changes in elevation, I mean, you can go from evergreen forests all the way up to subalpine and then into the alpine all within 2,000 meters. So, I mean, we live in a tropical country, but we still have the diversity of the lowlands are very hot, humid. But as you travel up, you can get like into Hohuan Mountain, for example. The landscape and the biodiversity at the subalpine and alpine regions is that of northern latitude uh, country. So it's very, very special and very, very diverse. Now, taking that into account, we often call the mountainous watersheds or the mountains, in fact, are like our, we could say, water towers. A lot of our water that we use for commercial use and industrial use is basically stored in watersheds. For example, Taiwan, I mean, if we didn't have mountains, we wouldn't have any um, water resources during the winter season. A lot of the reservoirs, yes, are storing water throughout the year, but the storage capacity of a watershed specifically is quite significant. So after a rainfall, that water is actually stored within a watershed and slowly released over time. That's very, very, very important. Especially with like the water shortages that Taiwan has been having lately. Yeah. So th again, this comes back to management of these mountainous watersheds. We can see that the best management practices are required. And again, going back to our field studies class, we did see management practices along the riverbed maybe not good management practices. Maybe we need to slow the water down as opposed to letting it run straight all the way out to the lowlands and then right out to the ocean. So I think a lot of ecological engineering has been done, but a lot of ecological research still needs to be done to understand the impacts of reinforcing banks or straightening channels. I mean, this helps move the water, but maybe we could actually divert this water or control it in another way that it would go back and infiltrate into the land as opposed to just flushing out to the ocean. So maybe it's like a misallocated resource. I think like going forward for what is the status of mountain environments in Taiwan, I think the greatest threat would be tourism development as Taiwanese start to value outdoor recreation and outdoor opportunities to go camping or stay in a hotel or a hostel up in the mountains. I think it's an economic potential, but it's, a, I would say, a threat. Overuse of campsites would be a great example. If you travel on the weekend to any campsite in the mountains, you'll see obviously there are too many people. You can also see this in Qingjing farms where the sheep are. A lot of overdevelopment along the main roads. So what I'm trying to get at is a poorly managed mountain environment can become just out of control. And then you have not just a poorly developed economic plan, but you create dangerous situations where you have hotels built on steep sloping terrain, which maybe sooner or later will fall down or collapse. And then you have disasters happening and loss of life. And it's not a good situation. Another thing I'd like to mention about unsustainable development of mountain um, environments in Taiwan would be if you ever have an opportunity to travel to Ilan and in Shuipa National Park, there's a lot of examples of, I would say, unsustainable development along the roads. A lot of it's cabbage farming. 
A lot of these cabbage farms are built on steep sloping terrain. Now, if you know anything about mountain soils or soils in the mountains, they're poorly developed, lack nutrients. However, the difference between as you go up in elevation, it's cool cabbage like that environment. It's wet. Usually there's a lot of water available. However, to grow these cabbage, which are highly valued, you need to use a lot of fertilizer. Now, they're heavily fertilized to compensate for the poor soil nutrients. However, this creates a lot of runoff. This runoff, in fact, will actually enter into the river. And, well, you can imagine what happens after. It's flowing downstream, and downstream is Elon City. So I always look at that and think that's really not sustainable. That's creating runoff burden, runoff issues. And I think that's something that if any student's looking for research opportunities, this is an excellent chance to go to the mountains and take some field data. Is that pretty much kind of just glazed over? Like they don't really talk about it because it would essentially stop the cabbage production? We need cabbages. <laughs> well, I think, I, I think it's also done with water watermelon farms, actually. So if you like watermelons, yeah. You better feel they, guilty right they now. They actually use a lot of fertilizer. So if you know what fertilizer, it's NPK, nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, I believe. Those are the three nutrients that are needed to grow large cabbage and large watermelon. So a lot of the excess is being flushed into the rivers. Even, even on the West Coast, we see that. So during the dry season, I guess you could say the riverbed is available and they're using it to grow vegetables. However, we have to consider the impact of this farming practice on the environment a little bit better because during low flow in a river, most of that flow would be... Polluted water. Well, polluted water or nutrient-rich water. So low flow season, the water quality is compromised. It's pretty, pretty crazy. What solutions do you see that are viable for a sustainable mountain development? I'm interested in like nature-based solutions. So I think as we move forward, we have to take the approach away from conservation, but more to preservation. Rewilding the wild. We just leave places, let them be, let them regenerate. And maybe we can use the edges. For example, a nature preserve could be used to preserve a certain habitat. But the edge effect, if you maintain and preserve one area, the boundaries will benefit because the biodiversity will increase and then spill over into other areas. And there could be economic and environmental benefits to the places within a certain proximity of your uh, preserve, your nature preserve, for example. As we wrap up here, I think the last point I'd like to make is that how do we go forward? How do we manage this? I think the key is managing people. There's one thing you take away from listening to me today is one of the greatest challenges and opportunities would be management of people living in the mountains or visiting the mountains through better education. If they visit a mountainous area, there's opportunities to learn about what's happening as opposed to just going up into the mountains for camping or for a picnic. If they have the opportunity to learn something while they're there, maybe they will take something back home and say and reflect and think, oh yes, all right, next time we go, we, we need to improve our behavior when we're visiting a scenic landscape. As opposed to making bad decisions and bad behavior become a regular thing. And we do see this in Taiwan, for example, with visitors dumping waste or leaving litter or going off trails when they shouldn't. So thank you for your talk on sustainable mountain development. It's always a pleasure to have you. We'll probably have you again later. Yeah, I look forward to next time. <laughs>